Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to The Parenthood, the podcast which discusses all things parenting. Today's subject is one that we all wish wasn't a thing, but unfortunately does affect women and more women than we think. Losing a baby at some point during a pregnancy is thought to occur in up to 30% of pregnancies. Most of those are in the early stages, before 12 weeks, but stillbirth and newborn death are not uncommon enough for us to ignore. And that's why we're going to talk about loss today, how it affects families and how those close to them can best support grieving parents. With me today, I've got two of the most inspirational women I've ever met. Emma Cannon is an acupuncturist who's dedicated her professional career to supporting women through conception, pregnancy and the postnatal period. Her books reflect her speciality. The Baby Making Bible was a bestseller and her fifth book, Fertile, was published last year. As well as being a professional, her role as a mother has shaped her. I've also got Elle Wright with me, who's become one of the most powerful voices when it comes to talking about baby loss. After her son, Teddy, died shortly after his birth in May 2016, Elle's Searing the Honest blog, Feathering the Empty Nest, built an enormous following. She's raised nearly £40,000 in Teddy's memory, and already in the short time since Teddy was born, has become a force to be reckoned with in the sphere of pregnancy and baby loss. Elle, Emma, thank you so much for joining me today. I am very honoured to have two such incredible women here on The Parenthood. I think it's important to put into context while we're all here, because um, as well as the sort of work we do, I think probably the thing that bonds us on a particularly unique level is that we're all, we've all experienced firsthand child loss. Um, so um, Elle, Teddy was, was born in May 2016 and died shortly after. He was, yeah. I was incredibly lucky that I had a very healthy pregnancy um, and he was born with no sort of suspicion that there would be anything wrong with him at all. Um, I had a natural labour. I was induced because my waters were leaking. Um, but when it he was born, um, it became very apparent that he was very poorly um, from the offset. He wasn't breathing. Um, when he was initially born, he was revived quite easily with a bit of a rub down from a towel and a, a bit of oxygen. Um, and we were told by a consultant that that was really quite normal in newborn babies. You know, it just takes them a little moment to sort of get going. But later that day and, and in, in the night uh, as we were sleeping, he stopped breathing again and was taken away from us um, and was subsequently transferred to a neonatal unit where he was alive for a further three days, not conscious, being kept alive on, you know, life support machine before we were told that there really wasn't 
wasn't any option than to stop treating him and and just let him go. So he was three days here, but hopefully the impact that he's made since has been has been quite great for his short life. Yeah, well, you're a, a real inspiration, I must say. And Emma, you've had firsthand experience of, of losing babies too, as well as obviously supporting women through loss and fertility and all of that. Yes, I mean, I'm one of five girls um, to start with. So there was always somebody with a period or pregnant or many miscarriages between us. I think I counted there were nine miscarriages between all five girls which actually. no one talks about no, no one talks about how no. frequently they occur yeah so um and i myself had two so i had a very early one in between my two girls i have two two girl children now and then i had a later one so i had a 20 week miscarriage after violet my second child where um i lost i just went into labor and i lost a lot of blood and had to go to hospital had blood transfusions and no one really talks about this either, but that labour was the same as the labours with my other children because a contraction is a contraction whether you're 20 weeks pregnant or whether you're 40 weeks pregnant. So the pain of that birth was the same as the pain of my other births. Um, And that I really, even I didn't know that with all my experience of working with women, that that actually the the pain is the same, the the physical pain is uh, the same. So that was... Extraordinary. You know, and people, there's this supposition that the later you lose a baby, the harder it is. I totally disagree with that. I think that you lose a baby, you lose a baby, you lose the hope and the excitement. And and it's it's really difficult to compare one person's experience to another person's experience based on based on the, the gestation. Um just to put it into context, my third um, son uh, was was stillborn um, when I was about 33 weeks pregnant um, as a result of a placental abruption. And it's something that I'd never anticipated could ever happen to me. And then I found myself teaching antenatal classes. Pregnancy was my world. And yet in an extraordinary way, as, as you touched on, Al, you know, these terrible things have an impact, which is so dreadful. But they, they talk about post-traumatic growth and how sometimes you can get become stronger in light of a catastrophic event. It kind of, you show strength in ways that you possibly never anticipated. Well, L for me, completely demonstrates this. And, and I talk about this, actually, I did a, a TEDx and I talk about transformation and our ability to transform our wounds into wisdom. Um, and I think this is a particularly important theme right now um, for women is that do we become the victim or do we say, I have this pain and I'm going to talk about it and I'm going to use it for a good force in the world. Um, and, and it's how we become alchemists so we we turn those 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 really dark dark pains with the, that no one used to want to talk about and we we take them into the world and we use them for something for good so yeah, it's really important. I think people will be listening to this, probably having experienced loss on, on many different levels and experiencing lots of different emotions around loss. I found it really useful after I'd lost Willem to talk to other people who'd lost babies about how they felt in the short term and how that then changed as it sort of became longer term. Because no one talks about it, I felt so alone and so vulnerable and I remember going to chat to a friend of mine who'd also lost a baby and it was so reassuring how did how did you feel sort of physically and emotionally in those those early days how can you can is there a way to describe that sort of grief and was there anything that you felt that really surprised you well probably completely broken it would be the two words that I would describe how I felt I I think much like yourself 
I never anticipated, never imagined that anything like that could happen to me. It's, I don't think I'd really had any experience of it. I, I mean, I knew stillbirth happened. I knew that, that mortality happens, you know, we're, none of us are, are going to be here forever. But I think when it happens to you, you, you honestly believe in that moment that you are the only person that it's ever happened to. And I can just remember thinking, it was a total out of body experience when I was in the hospital and we were told, you know, he's not going to be coming home with you. And just, yeah, totally alone, totally broken. Like I couldn't, I was being sucked under by something and I couldn't quite come up for air, if that makes sense. And I think for me, exactly as you've just said, connecting with other women, knowing that I wasn't on my own was the biggest thing that could have helped me in those early weeks, those early months. And I was lucky enough through the powers of Instagram, um, think what you may about social media, but for me, it was the place where I found women who were having very open, very honest conversations about loss and about their losses. Um, unlike anywhere else I'd found on the internet or in any other on any other social media platforms. Um, and I connected with a handful of women who were doing exactly that very early on in their days of loss, much earlier than I think I could have managed. I couldn't string a sentence together. Um, and they became my friends. They became my great friends. We are all still very good friends now. And, you know, we talk about our babies. Many of them have had more children um, since their losses. And I think... It's knowing that somebody understands what you're going through and that you're not going crazy and that you can say those things out loud that you may even fear saying to your own mother or your own best friend because if they've not lost, then it's incredibly difficult for them to understand those emotions. Um, and then I guess taking that and turning it into, okay, I feel stronger now, I have this voice, perhaps I can help somebody in that moment feel less alone because... And that in itself is quite empowering, isn't it? Yes, and that I think is <clears throat> what's kept me going since I, I started writing the blog about eight months after Teddy had, had died and I, I felt strong enough to talk about it and talk about it in a way where I know I, I knew I could revisit those feelings without upsetting myself again too much um, and, and feeling strong enough to be able to write them down, communicate them in the, in the correct way. And the amount of women who now write to me on a daily basis and say, I've just lost my baby. I'm just about to lose my baby. You know, some people contact me when they are in hospital, having just had a stillborn with that baby lying next to them. They email me from their phone and say, what should I do? I, I feel like my world, the bottom of my world has just fallen out. Um, help me. And it, it, I think it's being able to reach out to those women to, to tell them, firstly, they're not alone. Uh, absolutely, they're not. Very sadly, 15 babies a day in the UK are still stillborn or, or die from neonatal death. Um, and just telling them that they're going to be OK. It's not going to be the same. They have definitely embarked on a new path of parenthood that none of us anticipate, none of us ever imagine will happen to us. But telling them that there is a way forward um, with the right support and, you know, connecting with other women who experienced it. I remember one thing that was really important for me was the word adjustment, because in those early days, I remember thinking, is this a dream? I kind of wanted to pinch myself thinking this can't really be happening to me. And every morning I'd wake up and have like a moment of blissful ignorance. And then I just sort of remember. And 
I remember going to see a, a, a grief a grief counsellor and she said, listen, I can't cure your grief. Your grief will always be there. That sadness will always be there. But I'm going to help you adjust and just, you know, accept what's happened. And I think that was the key. You know, you can't take a drug to cure grief. You can't take anything to numb it. It, it is something that can't be numbed and it's the most painful thing. But I think talking about it yep. is probably the best way to adjust to that new normal, to what is your life. I mean, we yeah. were talking about communication earlier, Emma. Yeah, communication is really, really important. And I think one of the problems with um, baby loss is that um, we, we're we not used to, to that brokenness. And you use that word so beautifully. And and brokenness is, is not something that we expect, but actually allowing yourself to go into that brokenness and saying, you know, I'm broken, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm this really dark, painful self is so much more important and powerful than saying, yeah, I'm fine. You know, I'm fine. I'm, I'm fine in that old, that old stoic English way. Now, I think, I think when people miscarry, some women do feel it's one of those things and they do feel fine and, and that's okay if they feel like that. But I think a lot of the women that say that they're fine really aren't fine at all. And and they're just, there isn't a, any kind of uh, arena for them to discuss. So one of the things that I find a lot in my practice is is that communication and allowing people the space to to say how they feel because it's very difficult for other people to be with that that sadness and that darkness be, and that just makes it more isolating for the person that's suffering because for most of us or most people that haven't gone through it they have no idea how difficult it is and it's very difficult to put yourself in someone else's shoes if you haven't actually experienced it but yeah that can be very isolating so dialogue thing, is important one thing that I got very good at was crying because we have a weird relationship with crying don't we yeah. in the 21st century that it's this weakness you don't cry in public you sort of tell your children go and dry up your tears you're fine you're fine and yet I sort of embraced the crying, I think. And, and actually now we're understanding a bit more about what an important physiological process crying is, that we probably don't cry enough yeah, yeah. to release that tension. And I remember thinking, A, you know, I would recover a lot more quickly than I imagined. Like the whole puffy face thing would actually go down quite quick. I became the expert at sort of <laughs> making it look. But also not being ashamed that occasionally I'd just cry. Yeah. And people would see me. I remember running through the park and breaking down because something reminded me of my son and literally just starting to cry and coupled with the fact that I was running quite fast I was sort of gasping for breath and these two sort of boys on the on this bench who were smoking something a bit dodgy possibly like ran up to sort of you okay they thought I was about to collapse and and actually it was really cathartic running through the park openly crying yeah yeah um and I think you know that that not being afraid to cry and encouraging if you're supporting someone who's experienced loss sort of encouraging them to cry almost and just accepting it as a normal and important part of that sort of physical yeah and, and listening as well just listening I mean I think that I think we always want to fix things for people but you can't it can't be fixed and so sometimes it's it's a matter of just saying and, and what do you need you know what can I do and and they might not know and if they don't know then just to listen but I think people want to come and come in and fix things with um, maybe cliches they they mean well but you know I just know it's going to be okay and things like that well how do you know it's going to be okay? <laughs> no one else has given me that assurance. So it, I think it's we, we need to start developing a dialogue. I, mean, I don't know what helped you. I, I think it's human nature, isn't it? We want to help somebody in that situation mm. if it's our friend or a, a member of our family. And 
so many of my friends, you know, we're very lucky um, that they were all brilliantly supportive in whatever way they felt they could be from, you know, dropping hampers of food on our doorstep without without coming in and expecting mm. to see us, anything like that, just doing that and running away because they thought we might have not been able to leave the house to go shopping or, but not coming with any expectation to want to see us or to have to speak to us, which I think... I don't know how you found it after Willem died, but I felt this great expectation during the time when ordinarily I would have had a new baby at home and everybody would have been there coming to meet him and see him. That was all taken away as well. And now everybody wanted to see me and speak to me and physically see my husband and I so that they knew we were okay, so that we were still living and still standing. And I feel like they needed to see it for themselves. And so everybody bombards you in a a terribly loving way of phone calls and letters and cards and flowers um but then lots of my friends were just brilliant in as much as they sent the card or they dropped the thing at the house and and then they just said come to us when you need us come to us when you're ready and it was being able to be given that space to sit on my own and cry and just not want to see anybody I think probably for the first two or three weeks I didn't see anybody apart from my husband and both of our our immediate families and that that was all I could manage um I I, I must say I remember my attitude and my the way I support people who are bereaved has totally changed and I remember before Willem died I thought well you know, they probably don't want to hear from me. The last thing they need is another letter. I'll just pretend, you know, just ignore it and pretend it hasn't happened. And I think looking back on my experience, that was what I felt to be the most hurtful thing because I didn't know if they knew. And then by not saying anything, and I know this wasn't the case, but I felt like it was that they didn't care. And the moment someone reached out to me in whatever way, that might have been a text message with just a kiss in it, or it was a card, or it was a food hamper or some flowers, whatever it was, it felt like they were showing that they cared and that they were thinking of me. And and I remember, you know, I've met so many girls doing the bump class, uh, you know, before Willem died, you know, there were a thousand or so who who felt that you know, I'd known them in some way and I was really bowled over by how many of them wrote to me. And some groups got together and sent me something or all signed a card together. A couple of them wrote just amazing letters. And I actually will burst into tears if I kind of, you know, try and recount them now, but they really touched me and I have them all. Actually, I kept every single card that people wrote to me. Me too. And it's quite an uplifting thing reading it back. And I'm so ashamed at my behaviour retrospectively before I'd experienced grief that probably the one piece of advice I would give anyone who's got a friend or a family member who's experiencing grief is just reach out to them. You don't need to get anything back from them. But I think that reaching out is so important. It was like little virtual hugs and that all of those things I felt made me stronger. Definitely. I mean, my, my, I did, sadly, I experienced grief very early because my father died when I was 16 in the, in the 80s. And people used to cross the street rather than have to talk to me or address it. And at school, no one even mentioned it. It was, it was just bizarre. It was, um, it, it, was so, it was so painful. And so I just used to talk about him all the time and people used to, you know, look a bit uncomfortable and they didn't know what to say. I mean, it, I do think it has changed, but, um, but, you know, I do still think that for people 
losing a baby is still a very difficult thing to talk about. And also miscarriage, because I think people think that because it hadn't wasn't there yet, it's not a big deal. But it is a big deal. It's a really big deal. Because the minute you're pregnant, you know when it's going to come and you know other people that are pregnant. And, and it, you might have tried a long time to have the baby, which a lot of my patients have. So it's a huge loss, huge loss. And I think... You have this, we conditioned not to tell anyone about pregnancy for the first 12 weeks. And I'm so against that. I think it's often the hardest trimester because you're worried. You know, there's this high chance of, of it not continuing. You're often feeling at your most rotten and you're being sick and people are like, oh, she's had a big night last night. You're like, no, I haven't touched any alcohol. I'm pregnant, but you feel you can't say it. And then the other thing that doesn't make sense with this high chance of there being grief and, you know, miscarriage at the end of it or relatively high chance, you then can't ask for the support you need because you haven't even told people that you were pregnant in the first place. And actually that's almost the time when you need people to support you the most. Yeah. I mean, I offer, that's a lot of the work that we do in clinic is supporting women in in subsequent pregnancies in that first trimester when you know they're feeling incredibly anxious and they don't want to tell people and I do encourage people to tell people actually um, but yeah giving support in subsequent pregnancies is is really it's a really important part of our work I think one of the hardest things um, when you lose a child, when you've got this horrific news that's happened to you is sort of to how you tell people how it's happened. Because what you don't want... Well, I remember with me, there was one late... Whenever I encountered someone who didn't know, I remember going, dropping my son at nursery and this lady came up to me. She's like, oh, have you had your baby? And we were walking along the street and I, I just had to deliver this bombshell of tragedy. And, 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 and then, of course, it made her really uncomfortable. She didn't know what to say. For me, I, you know, I was, I was sort of lucky in a way because because my husband is in the public eye it was sort of out there and everyone knew about it but you almost do want to put it and let everyone know about it so that you don't have to tell people yourself but people can respond in the way that they feel how I mean how did you tell people Al did or are you sort of were you unaware of I had a couple of similar experiences to that in as much as I was walking down the street sort of in the few weeks after Teddy died and was met with Elle, have you had your baby by, you know, well-meaning friends and neighbours and had to deliver the news of, well, yes, I did, but... And then, you know, you... In your head, you're you're not strong enough to say it out loud yourself at that time anyway um, without potentially bursting into tears, which I did on more than one occasion. And then, of course, you know, the next natural response from them is, oh, my goodness, I'm so sorry... They feel like they've they've made things a million times worse and you've potentially feel like you've just ruined their day because you've delivered, as you said, such a bombshell of news. And I, the week after Teddy died, um, I had this, because we'd been helped so significantly by the NICU where he was being looked after at Ashford and St Peter's Hospital in Chertsey. He was there for three days and um, they did so much. The care that they gave us and him was incredible. And I just had this overwhelming urge that if I could raise some money for them, then I could, I guess it's the whole two birds with one stone. I, I wrote the entire story out on a Just Giving page and that was where, where our fundraising started. It was my way of telling the world what had happened without having to face-to-face -to -face tell the world what had happened. 
So I wrote the whole story out from beginning to end. I put it onto a fundraising page and I posted it onto social media, onto mine and my husband's Facebook pages. And I think within a week we'd raised £15,000 just from sort of friends and family. And it just meant it was out there. Everybody could see and read what had happened to Teddy and it enabled us to to do something positive in that moment as well um, and raise some money. So I think I probably saved myself from a lot of those encounters and conversations. Um, And I think I knew what I was doing at the time as well. I was kind of consciously trying to get it out there so that I wouldn't have to encounter those conversations because I just couldn't say it out loud. I think that's a a very clever thing to do because it gives you email it gives that email some purpose rather than just horrific news yeah and I also think you you touched upon it um that writing the act of writing and one thing that struck me about feathering the empty nest your blog you write absolutely beautifully and it's clear that it's from the heart and everything of yours that I've read has either had me in tears or sort of very very close um you're incredibly articulate I found that it was really cathartic writing about grief, about getting those words out on the page. I I wrote an article for The Telegraph about um, three or four months after William died, about more about the grieving process and what had surprised me and what I'd sort of learnt about sort of the physical sort of manifestation of grief. And just writing that article, I didn't even know it would be published at the time, but I thought I need to write it. And I spent a couple of evenings doing that. And it was, it was such a big part of that healing process. You've achieved such great things with your blog and raising awareness um for for what we're talking about but did you do you find the act of writing itself is is cathartic hugely and I think I don't think I realized at the time when I started the blog actually how much of what I was doing was for me and not necessarily just to talk about you know help other women I thought I was doing it to tell Teddy's story and help other women and then Last week, I wrote a blog piece about, you know, looking back on last year and the first year of of having had the blog, because I only started it, it was actually a year this week. Um, And I was kind of thinking about it. And it was 100% for me, it was 100% for my well-being and to be able to get those thoughts and those feelings, finally, eight months, where I kind of started to get everything straight in my head, I could finally articulate them before I, I just couldn't. And I got them down onto a page and it just felt so good to hit publish on all of those posts and get it out there with the world and then I don't think I expected the reaction that would come back I think when you're that brutally honest about your experiences and your inner feelings the ones that you think oh no I probably shouldn't say that out loud I'm going to be casted off um you know I've actually found the ones that I'm most worried about hitting publish on are the ones that gain the greatest reaction and the ones that have women coming at me you know in in greater numbers because the chances are if you're thinking it and you're feeling it and you're worried about it there are a load of people out there who are thinking exactly the same thing and and they need your words and they need to feel like they're not alone uh, honesty breeds respect it does yeah and we all have the writing thing in common actually because we're all we all write don't yes, we exactly um i i had a really um i was sitting with a woman who had had several um, miscarriages the other day and I was trying to help her find a way forward with it um, because she was very much stuck in the, this always happens to me, why does it always happen to me, which is completely understandable. Um, and in that moment, I just had this, this such clarity around one thing, and that is that the world that these children are being born into is a very difficult world. 
And um, I get goosebumps when I think about this and when I think about both of, both of you women. And actually the skills that we learn when we go through painful things in our life. Uh, and actually no one wants to suffer. Nobody wants pain. But actually we do gain tremendous skills, patience, being able to be with pain, empathy, being able to be broken and build ourselves back up again. These are all things that if you go through in your life, you will then be able to teach your children. And the children that are being born into this world are going to need those skills, you know, in huge amounts. So I think that there is something really powerful in being able to go through these things and being able to transform them. And that, you know, there is some beauty in in that can come out of suffering deep suffering and emma obviously you 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 do acupuncture you treat um women who are pregnant people who are trying to conceive people recovering from from pregnancy um how what would you say is kind of important in terms of recovery and um you know if someone's listening to this having either experienced loss recently or if if someone very close to them has what I mean, I, I had acupuncture, uh, you know, after, uh, during my pregnancies and, and post, and I, it was hugely healing for me. I don't quite know how it was sure. uh, because I don't understand enough yeah. of it, but, um, what, what would you, what would you recommend? What would you say? Was well, important? I think that one of the first things is, is not to compare yourself with other people because I think everybody's very, very different. And I think, you know, some people have miscarriages and they pick themselves up and they really do feel okay. And, and I think that's okay. I think they shouldn't feel shamed because they don't feel completely overwhelmed by it. And, and some people are able to, to be very rational about these things. And then some people feel completely devastated and, and that's okay too. And I think the important thing, one of the most important things I do first of all is to really validate how that person's feeling um, and and to let them be with that. Um, and But sometimes to help them explore how they're feeling because sometimes they don't know. Um, we touched on it again. I think that idea of allowing yourself to go into brokenness or to go into to, to deep despair is okay and, and that we shouldn't um, run away from that. And um, in, in my teachings in Chinese medicine that actually we're taught that from that place is a, is a place of greatest potential where we can, you know, build ourselves up again and, and to become stronger, better people. So I think that's, that's very much a, a part of Chinese medicine as well. I think rest is really important. I, I think with both of mine, actually, I regretted two things. I regretted not, not resting. And I also regretted, um, not giving myself t um, time, you know, just sort of rushing back into things, um, and thinking, um, I don't want to dwell on this. I, you know, I just want to. I just want to get on with things, really. And so, not really giving myself that self care that I needed. So, I really encourage women to, to around that self care, and also to talk about it if they need to talk about it. And with the acupuncture, the acupuncture helps get the body back to normal functioning. And I think one of the things that we also don't think about is that if you lose a baby at whatever week in pregnancy 
it, your body is set up for a pregnancy and then that doesn't happen. And so you're, in terms of your energetic system, in terms of your physical body, as well as your emotions, um, you're deviated from how your body needs to function normally. And so, so a lot of what I do with the acupuncture is to get the body back onto, into normal function, to, you know, to, get, to get a bleed, to support the first period, to support all those milestones and, and make sure that the body is functioning optimally. Because at certain times in a woman's, woman's life, their health can take a turn for better or for worse. And I think miscarriage is very much one of those times. Um, and I think sometimes women do have miscarriages and then it's very difficult to conceive again. Um, so I, I'm very mindful of supporting them physically and mentally in that phase so that the problems don't, uh, you know, don't repeat or that the, the, we can get the body back into normal function. Because... So, yeah. You know, if you lose a baby, whether it's a, a miscarriage early on or if it's a, you know, if, if it happens later on, I think certainly my experience was, I mean, I was quite sick after Willem died, but, you know, once I was sort of out of intensive care, I was sort of on my way and that was it. They don't give you any other medicine or they don't necessarily do blood tests and they're sort of, you're fine, you're functioning, you're okay. And yet you are so broken on, and, and, and that's why I love the alternative medicine because, yeah. you know, it's not antibiotics or nothing it's not sort of serious painkillers or nothing you're dealing with so much and it's so difficult to be told well you know we can't give you anything to yeah. to cure and, and and that's why the sort of complementary medicine yeah. often is a sort of door open when you so need it yeah and, th and you know things like you're still producing breast milk for goodness sake and how painful is that physically and emotionally and that bleed for six weeks yeah absolutely so it's it's about supporting through those processes yeah yeah um what do you think would, was the best thing that someone did for you in the sort of, I know it's a bit of a sort of bombshell to throw at you, but um, when I sort of think back to what people did and how people reacted, was there something that someone did that was, you just thought this is just the perfect thing, it was just what I needed? I think our friends who dropped the hamper on the front doorstep and did a runner was a personal highlight for me because they just, did it I mean they live an hour and 20 away from us it wasn't like they lived down the road and they came and did this they, I think it was the week possibly the week after Teddy had died so it was about six seven days after he died you know they'd already dropped the text message to say thinking of you if there's anything you know we can do our situation was a little bit different because we'd been in contact with people while we were in the hospital with Teddy because they knew that he'd arrived and mm. then of course everybody was rooting for him to get better and come home and then you have to tell people that that's not going to happen and so you drop this sort of bombshell on them um yeah and and those particular friends of ours actually my husband's one of his very best friends from school, who was a best man at our wedding, and his wife, they came to the house, dropped um, a hamper full of all sorts. I mean, she'd baked and there were bath goodies in there and a bottle of beer for Nico and a little mini bottle of champagne for me. I mean, I've never least felt like drinking champagne in my life, but it cheered me up to see all of these things that she'd put together you know bath salts and and they'd both written us from each of them separately a beautiful letter that was that was to both of us so it would just yeah it kind of blew me away and I in that moment I thought wow people are I I'm like you I get so teary when I start to think about what people have done for us um and it just yeah people's kindness just astounded me 
If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Um, and one of my best friends, she's a jeweler and she's always made all of our jewelry, our wedding jewelry and things like that. And when I saw her, she'd had a beautiful locket made with Teddy's name on. And yeah, that was another thing that just... It just meant so much in that moment when you're, you think that, well, that's it. He's been born and he's, he's not here, so he's going to be forgotten very quickly. It just proved to me that that was, that was totally wrong. I fabricated that in my head and everyone was there and they were lovely. And that feeling that nothing can make it better. You realise nothing can totally take away, but actually if you realise how amazing humans are, that is one of the most powerful things. I remember, yeah. I think one of the, the most touching things that happened to me was a friend of mine whose father died a few years before. Um, do you remember there was that exhibition in the Tower of London, all those poppies, the ceramic oh, yeah. poppies yeah, that were made? And she bought me, uh, bought us a poppy, one of those ceramic poppies for Willem. And it's in our garden. And it, she gave it to me about three months after he died. And it was just one of the most wonderfully touching things I, and one of the pre- most precious things I have. Um, and, and that just every time I look at that poppy, I remember what good friends I have. And I remember it's them that make me strong. It's them that make me get through the rubbish stuff in life. It's my family and this amazing group of friends. And that in itself is just extraordinary and, and so helpful. Yeah. And I think also being able to sit with ne- ne- what we think of negative emotion. Um, I remember saying to a friend of mine, um, you know, one day, one, one day I feel so full of grief and the next day I feel so full of anger. And, and it's, for some people it's really difficult to be with anger or be with grief. They, find they want to make it better or run away from it. Um, and I said, and, but some days I feel really powerful. I feel like a, a goddess. And he, he said to me, 
all goddesses are full of grief and anger. <laughs> and he said, if you ever want to spend a day with me being completely angry all day long, that's completely okay with me. And it was just giving me permission to feel, you know, not to feel like I had to be the nice girl or the, you know, polite girl and look after everybody else's emotion. No, I feel angry. I feel raging. And yes, we've talked about grief today, but we haven't talked about anger much. And, and still, I think we find it really difficult to talk mm. about anger. And anger is a real thing. And yeah. it's a really important thing as well. So, you know, it's, it's the whole, you feel the whole spectrum, don't you? Absolutely. And I can remember the, the anger that I felt in the weeks that, that Teddy, after he'd passed, um, it was the same thing. One day I was a sobbing mess. I was in, engulfed with grief and so sad that this could happen. And the next day I was so angry at the universe that, you know, why did it have to happen to me? Why does everybody else seemingly pop out a healthy baby with no problem at all? And yet here I am with my first child and this has happened. And I remember thinking this is so unfair. And I did use that word. And I can remember, you know, my mum, even when the vicar came to see us for Teddy's funeral and he said, you're right, it is, it's incredibly unfair. That's the, the, you know, the way of the world. And we don't expect you to think that it's happened for, for any other reason other than it is just incredibly unfair and it's okay to feel anger and it's okay to feel Well, if you didn't, grief. it would be totally abnormal yeah. if you didn't feel angry. And one thing that he said to me, actually, the vicar who came to see us, I'd never met him before, but we decided to have the um, Teddy's funeral service just with family um, members in the church in the town that we live in, beautiful old church. And he said, um, I will tell you something though, he said, Grief doesn't last forever, but love does. Mm. And it just, I mean, I get goosebumps whenever I hear that. I'm just like, he was so right. He, and it was his way of saying, you're not going to feel, you're at an all-time low. But you're not going to feel like this forever because, you know, you love your son so much and that's what's going to override everything. And I think for both my husband and I, that's what we've carried forward. Mm. I think that's so important because often the anticipation of what's to come is is often harder. I, I remember I, I supported a girl on the bump class whose, whose baby was stillborn and she, I remember waking up on a Saturday morning and I had an email from her saying, my baby died, I don't know what to do. And I called her and I said, nothing I can say is going to make this better. But one thing I can say is that it will never get worse from the moment that you've heard your baby's died. The worst, worst, worst moment has passed. And even though life will be dark, it's never going to be quite as bad again. And you've done the worst of it. And I think that is so important, you know, mm. also taking one step at a time, not thinking, oh my God, how am I going to cope in a week or in a year? And what am I going to do for that anniversary? Just live each day as it comes, cope with what you're feeling then and don't waste the emotion and the energy on what you might be feeling tomorrow or next week or next year. But that's a metaphor for life really, isn't it? I mean, I think that's, I think that's so important. I think we're always racing ahead. And, and I, I see that a lot with patients when they've had trauma as they catastrophize a lot. So in subsequent pregnancies, they're like, what if this, what if... And they're already 26 steps ahead. And it's just about helping to bring them back into that, that present space and just saying, deal with here and now. Everybody can deal with that. And, um, yeah, moving forward from that place. And moving forward, I think, is the thing, not trying to move on from it and not putting pressure on ourselves not to feel grief and not to feel upset. Mm. I get so many women write to me and say, when am I going to feel better? And I, it's a question you can't answer. And I'm sure, you know, you've had it put to you as well. Um, not long after Teddy died, 
a, a friend of ours who lost her son um, a couple of years before said that grief doesn't get any easier. You don't you don't get better with time, but you learn to wear the weight of it every day, and it feels a little bit lighter on your shoulders. Mm. And she was so true. It's still there. It's all. It's always going to be there. It's always going to make me sad. But we've come through the worst of it, the utter worst of it. And now every day it does get a little bit lighter and I do feel a little bit freer. And yeah, it's it's hard to explain, but you know, when you're in it, you know. It sounds so weird to say, but I remember before I experienced profound grief, I remember thinking, God, there's no way I could cope with it. Imagine if a child died. I, I just don't think I could cope. And you do, you sort of come up for air and you realise that you're living through it and you're still functioning and there's something weirdly empowering to know that sort of the worst thing mm -hmm. that could happen to a person has happened and that you've somehow weathered that storm that's that's quite sort of invigorating and in a weird way I feel sort of almost a bit odd saying that but I'm sure you agree that yeah it's our survival it's yeah. how we survive and I think the, the weird thing is is that we're not taught that, that we will suffer I mean, in a way, you know, it's it's like it's the it's the unspoken in the inconvenient truth. You know, you're brought up and you just think, well, I'm never going to suffer. It's all going to work out OK. It's all going to be fine, you know. And actually, we're not really equipped. Well, we, we obviously are because we, <laughs> we all cope. But, it, you know, we're not as equipped as we could be. Mm -hmm. and, I, and I think the world is changing. And the fact that we're here talking about this in such a frank way is, is part of that. And, you know, we're all speaking our truth. But, um, yeah, you do, you do survive and, you do, and, and then you can help other people. And talking from the sort of the best things that people did, obviously not everyone, you know, behaves in a way like I was saying that, you know, I, I behaved in a way that I now think was was pretty appalling before I experienced grief. Um, and, and I think one thing it taught me was that people will sometimes let you down. People will sometimes say the wrong thing. And it's very easy to get very upset about that badly thought out comment. But then I remember putting myself back thinking, she didn't mean to say that. I, I can't take that as... I remember bumping into someone in the park once and it was, this was about four or five months after Willem died and, and um, my, my husband's grandmother had just died and she said, gosh, you know, when it rains, it snows. I remember so well when my grandfather died and then my father died and, and we just had a baby and I thought, God, I couldn't get any worse. And I thought, I sort of looked at her and I, I saw that sort of realisation of what she said. I thought, I can't hate her. I can't be angry. She didn't mean to say that. It came from a good place. And I think you do slightly need to steel yourself when you've experienced grief that not everyone you talk to is going to say the right thing. People can say things that are quite upsetting, but usually it doesn't come from a bad place. They don't mean to do that. And we've all been, you know, culpable of saying the wrong thing, that the moment it comes out of our mouths, we instantly regret. And I think you have to just be quite forgiving for your own sake, don't you? And I think to save yourself from any more anger as well, I've noticed on a number of occasions I've experienced similar. Somebody has said something and then I, I tend to sort of look at them nodding, and, and wait a few moments for the penny to drop. So I'll wait for them to realise potentially what they've just said. And then you see that look in their face, that look in their eyes, normally followed up with, oh my God, I'm so sorry. I, I didn't mean that. What I meant is, and then I say, it's fine. You know, you don't, you can stop digging. It's absolutely fine. I, I understand. We all do it. We, in that moment where we feel like we should say something, I'm the worst for it. I just fill the air with noise and then think, oh 
goodness me, that is not the right thing to say out loud. And it's just human nature. We're trying to help. We're trying to relate. Um, and it's, it doesn't always come out in the, in the best way. But as Emma said, you know, if we're better equipped as individuals to deal with it when it happens to us, we'll be better equipped to guide those people who need to help us so that then if it happens again in the future to somebody that they know, you know, well, we're raising our children to be better equipped in those instances, then we all become better equipped at helping each other. And I think it it's something now that will hopefully become a huge change that happens in society because we are finally talking about it. Yeah. I, I feel I'm so much more honest with my children as yeah. a result of having to say, your brother died. We don't know why it happened, but I'm okay. And tell me why you're feeling sad. And also not being afraid to, to cry in front of my children. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't think I ever saw my parents in tears. I, it would have been the most upsetting thing because it never happened. And yet my children constantly see me in tears and they, you know, they're sort of not, no longer afraid of it. Yeah. And I think as well, it's, it's like, it's not, you don't want to be the victim, do you? And you don't want to be stoic. I think that's not it. And I think sometimes what you become, and, and especially in the instance when people don't maybe say the right thing, is you become the teacher. And I try and say that to 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 people as well you know they haven't necessarily been through it so in this instance I know that you need the support but actually maybe you are the teacher here and maybe you say actually this what this helps me or that helps me or um because they don't know so I think yeah may, not being not being stoic and not being yes, the victim I think no I, one wants to be the victim do they no and I think setting people free and and telling them that it's okay for them not to understand every emotion that you're going through when my best friend came to see me a few weeks after Teddy died the look on her face she she was just so petrified and yet it was me sitting in front of her and she kind of kept going to talk and kept going to say something and and she was you could see her stomach was in knots she wanted so hard to she was hurting for me but she wanted so hard to say the right thing and I remember just putting my hand on her holding onto her hands and I said it's okay I said you don't need to get it I wouldn't wish this pain upon my worst enemy just be you and I'll carry on being me I'll probably be crying a lot more than you know the normal me but I'm still me and I'm still here and the look of relief on her face because she could just support me but not try to understand every emotion and I think that's what we need to allow people to do is just sort of set them free and say it's okay you don't need to step into my shoes um because you wouldn't want anyone to feel it, you know? Yeah. One of the hardest points I found was was that first anniversary, a year. That year is, is, is always hard. And I found that as we approached, you know, Willem's, what would have been his first birthday, I found my heart so heavy. I was I was so sort of bleak. And talking to other people that have experienced grief, a good friend of mine lost um, her daughter and she said, you know, August is just a write-off for me. She died on the 31st of August and the whole of August is just the bleakest month of the year. But I've slightly come to accept it now that I just will be. And I warned people around me that I am just a bit more tender and emotional and maybe not as cheery and joyful, but I kind of, I mean, I I think that first anniversary is really, really hard. Did you, did you find that, that, um, I found it really tough to get to the build-up just as you've said with your friend the build-up um for us I feel like there's almost two anniversaries because he was born and then I have this three-day agonizing wait of remembering all of those things playing back all of those that time in the NICU in the hospital and 
yeah, it's like a double blow. So I feel like, uh, well, I, I felt like last year when we went through those first anniversaries that on his birthday, I felt quite happy and quite, um, you know, I was able to celebrate his birth and his life. And then I went into these strange three days of limbo where I was just utterly miserable until we reached the day and the time that he died. But actually, when I went through the other side of it, again, I felt lighter. Um, for me, definitely the build-up to everything is worse. And I think I think I make it worse in my and I think we're all guilty of that, aren't we? We make it so much worse in our own in our own minds and we we think it's over in every single detail um until we're just, you know, consumed by it. The anticipation of what's gonna be hard is often not as what hard is, as the actual. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Or often what you think is going to be hard isn't so hard. I remember because William died in Austria and I remember f- going back to Austria and it was quite difficult. And I thought, well, it was raining the day he died. And if it rains, I know I'm going to feel it. And anyway, I had this extraordinary thing that one Sunday I woke up, it was raining. He died on a Sunday. And I remember very well the church bells ringing and the rain beating down. And I sort of looked around and thought, yeah, this is going to be awful. And I then thought, actually, it's, it's not as hard as I thought thought it was going to be and then yet other moments were really hard so I think that anticipation of yes that's going to be really difficult is sort of almost a mistake you make you almost always just live each day and think well some days are going to be really difficult but let's not try and anticipate which ones are going to be hard rather that you know rather you just sort of live it and accept and respond to the emotions when you have them yeah and sometimes it makes the good times more poignant and more beautiful and it gives us that sense of awe and wonder and and allows us to see the world you know with hope and things like that you know and and that that is the beautiful side of loss that people rarely talk about because how can there be an upside you know um but um I think with all all the losses I've had in my life it's allowed the me to see more awe in the world than I would have seen otherwise do you agree with that Elle absolutely I think I'm so much more appreciative of all the little things. And it's, it does sound, it being really cheesy and cliche, but it is so true. I think when you've been at that rock bottom of how can I sit up in the morning and swing my legs around to the side of the bed and get out of bed, when you've been there to then come through it, I think you're totally right when you say it's quite invigorating and empowering. And suddenly all the little things when, you know, you're having a great day and the sun's shining and you get to see your friends or, you know, you, you just have a, you just have a newfound ap- appreciation for it all. And I actually was on Instagram when we were um, down in Cornwall last September, October, and it was the first day that I've had that was so happy beginning to end. But I had the greatest day. We got up in the morning, we went surfing, we went out for lunch, had a nice glass of wine, had a, you know... Everything about the day, my husband and I, we had just, you know, you just have one of those days where the sun shines and the world feels great. And I remember thinking, I need to tell somebody that that I can feel like this again. I need to tell the world. And because I know so many women are following me on Instagram who have very recently lost a child, I went onto my Instagram stories and I, I told the world about my day. I told everyone what a bloody fantastic time I'd had. Not to gloat or to say, look how fabulous my life is, but to tell them that one day a day will come when they have a brilliant day beginning to end again and it, the penny drops and they they appreciate it for all that it was we didn't do anything particularly special or you know it wasn't extravagant or elaborate in any way it was just a simple day that was you know lots of beach walking and and having a, a lovely time together and I think 
I have so much more appreciation for those days than than anything else now. Well, I think that's the the perfect sentiment to to end on. I think that positivity is so important, and I really echo. I think you know when you've when you've lost a child, you think you can never be happy again, and just holding on to that sentiment that you can and you will is probably one of the most healing and important things that you can feel in those sort of early days thank you both so much for coming along thank you today (laughs) thank you i hope you've enjoyed listening to Elle and emma as much as i have and and understand why i described them as two of the most inspirational women i've ever met do have a look for them online emma cannon's books are all available on amazon and highly recommended do also check out her website at emmacannon.co UK. There's lots more information there about her acupuncture and fertility services. She's also got wonderful recipes and a great blog. Elle's Feathering the Empty Nest blog, I think it's one of my favourite ones. It's featheringtheemptynest.co.uk and it's filled not only with wise and thoughtful words, but also gorgeous interior and style ideas. I also do love her Instagram, just search for Feathering the Empty Nest. Losing a baby at any stage is utterly awful. Whether you learn that your baby won't arrive in your arms at eight weeks or whether his life ends in your arms after his birth, you will feel a rawness and desperation that is pretty much unrivaled in life. The three of us all support charities who are dedicated to making pregnancy and birth safer. But the one thing we as a society can do, whether you've lost a baby yourself or whether you've never even been pregnant, is to support one another, to be open and honest and not to be afraid to do the very un-British thing, which is show your emotions. I do hope you found this episode illuminating and helpful. Please do subscribe to us at The Parenthood and encourage your friends to do the same. The more listeners we have, the more episodes we can record. So follow us on Instagram. We're at theparent.hood. Not only is our feed full of interesting and sometimes quite funny stuff, but you can also let us know what you'd like to record next. Thanks for listening and goodbye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.